You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. We're going to turn in God's Word to 2 Corinthians. This is a, a book in the Bible that we're looking at. It's a letter written to the church. We believe it is God's Word, also written for us. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6 to verse 9, and the words will also be up on the screen. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. If it's your first time here, you are very welcome, uh, as it is if it's your thousandth time here. Um, Sometimes, when we're looking at the Bible, I'm talking and I'm saying something, and it's to you, sometimes it's as though I'm speaking in a different language. Uh, We had a wedding here yesterday, and the best men's speech, the guys told me they were going to wing it, and they did wing it, and they were brilliant. They were absolutely pure Dundonian. It was hilarious. Um, However, half the wedding were people from Romford in Kent, and the total blank looks on their faces, was this English being spoken, and what did it mean? Uh, actually, these guys they were a bit worried afterwards. They might have offended someone. I said, no, you're okay, because people wouldn't have understood what, what you were saying. I thought, honestly, I thought they were hilarious. I just thought, oh, I love this city. I love these. And they were great lads. But you could see the complete incomprehensibility of about half the people. Or maybe they thought the guys were incomprehensible. They didn't understand. And sometimes I fear that that's what happens when we're looking at God's Word. So if you've got any questions about this, please feel free to ask afterwards. I'll try and uh, be as clear as I can be. Because what we're looking at is something that is really, really important. It is about taking a collection for the poor in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. And you think, what does that have to do with me? Well, you'll see uh, what it has to do. I want to ask you this question. Do you know any mean people? You know, and a child might say, that's not nice, that was mean you know people who are tight-fisted, who are not generous? We don't really want to be that kind of person. But I think that many of us are, if not all of us, are in some ways what I would call hedgehog people. Any threat at all, any perceived threat to us, and we curl up in a ball and out come the spikes. You know, bad temper, anger, coldness. And sometimes you get very, very weary with that, both in yourself and in other people. Uh, Last night, before I went to bed, I I got a whole slew of messages. I probably shouldn't have read them. But uh, people were upset about the situation in Israel and Gaza, the situation in the wider church. There was a couple of local church situations that people were very upset about. And there was a great deal, even amongst Christians... And sometimes can I say this, maybe especially amongst Christians, there's a, a bitterness and an anger and confusion. 
And we get very tired of the aggression and the anger and the angst, um, especially in ourselves. And what we need is a different way of thinking and a change of heart. How can it be different? Well, in talking about giving, Paul here gives us a great key to being the opposite of mean, to being open and to being generous. And we're going to look at that, and I hope that as you hear this, that God will work in your life and God will change your heart. In Islam, one of the five pillars is um, Zadok, giving alms to the poor. Augustine speaks of the three necessities for living the Christian life. It's interesting, because if I asked you to say, what are they, you might have a completely different view. Um, He says, fasting, controlling your appetite. Prayer, and giving to the poor. Now, we're going to look at this last one in terms of giving. And there are some basic principles that we're going to look at that I hope as you'll see that it's, this is just more about, much, much more than about uh, giving money in a collection. First principle is this. Giving is sowing. And there are two parts to this. We are supposed to reap. Your lives and my life, we're meant to be fruitful people. Hebrews 6, 7 says this, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. You are not here in this world just for yourself. You are here as someone made in the image of God to produce fruit. Fruit that will glorify God and fruit that will help other people. You are to leave your mark on this world in that, in that way. And we are to see ourselves as being like a field. And Jesus does this. And the writer to the Hebrews does this, as we've just read. Paul does this as well. That there are people who produce good fruit. And then there's bad fruit. And we want to be the people that produce good fruit. But you don't produce fruit unless you sow. And so Paul gives a very basic principle, which is this. We reap what we sow. Jesus, when he talks about the parable of the sower, he gives the illustration of the the man going out and he's throwing the seed around. And... That's exactly the image that Paul is using here. Uh, I've tried, I'm not a gardener, but I thought, oh, I'll try sowing something. So um, some of you who are gardeners will laugh at this. My knowledge of horticulture is about as good as my knowledge of medicine. So don't get me to come into your garden. So I thought, right, carrot seed. This is what I'm going to do with it. You get the carrot seed, you open the packet, and it's all like tiny wee bits. So I think, well... I'm a rational person, so I'm going to measure it out. But, but, and there's loads of it. And you just put one little one here, one one there, one one there, one one there, and think, that's okay. That's not how you do it. What you're meant to do is you just scatter it. And some of it will catch and some of it won't. So I kind of caught on to that by the second or third row. But if you look at the first row, 
it's pretty pathetic. There's like one bit of carrot coming out there, loads of weeds, another bit of carrot there, another bit, you know. But the row where I just said, oh, I can't be bothered doing this. I'm just going to cast it in. When I just cast it in, there's loads of stuff coming for carrots coming out. Well, that's exactly what's being said here. When you sow, you're throwing the grain away. It looks as though you're giving it away. You've got the grain in your hand. You've got the seed in your hand. If you hold on to it, you never ever, it's never going to grow, is it? You have to let it go. One man gives freely, says Proverbs 11, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. See, instinctively we think if we hold on to stuff, then we'll keep stuff. If we give away stuff, then we won't keep it. But the Bible goes completely the opposite way. It says if you hold on to stuff, you're going to lose it. If you give it away, you yourself will be refreshed. Jesus in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Calvin puts it very succinctly. He said, let this doctrine be deeply rooted in our minds. It's a doctrine. It's not just practical teaching. It's a doctrine that's practical. That whenever carnal reason, in other words, just our, in our own personal instinct, our fleshly reason, whenever carnal reason keeps us back from doing good through fear of loss, we may defend ourselves with this shield, the Lord declares we are sowing. Because see, sometimes you don't help people and sometimes you don't give your time and sometimes you don't invite people for a meal and sometimes you don't talk to people and sometimes you don't give. Why? Because you're scared that you're going to lose something. And Calvin sums it up beautifully for us. He says, when you think like that, and you will think like that, remember what God says. You are sowing, you are sowing, you are sowing. It's not that you give and instantly you get back. It's you are sowing. So giving is sowing. The second principle is this. Giving is a matter of the heart. Each man should give what is decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, giving is private and individual. That's very counter to what some people think. Some think that you encourage people to give. I'm going to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't give. Some think that you encourage people to give by making them feel guilty. That's why if you're a charity and you want to raise money, best thing you can find is a starving child and put a picture on and say, well, we're going to do this. Because people look at that picture and they feel guilty. And they feel, well, we ought to give. Sometimes... People try and encourage people to give in the sense of being able to boast. Look how wealthy I am and look how much I can give away. So you will go, um, I've sometimes gone to these charity auctions. Uh, Not the one here, which is absolutely hilarious and great fun. But I've been to kind of football club charity auctions. And you you can see guys, you know, all these alpha males. That they don't really probably have the money. But they're not going to be outbid by somebody else. And so they raise ridiculous amounts of money by encouraging a competitive spirit. Others think 
that you encourage people to give by basically compelling them. A kind of forced redistribution of wealth. Now here's why all of this doesn't work. And it's very simple. Because every single human being, you and me, are sinful and hypocritical. So if we give out of guilt, then it creates a resentment within us and it doesn't get rid of the guilt. That's why Paul says there, don't give reluctantly. And literally it means out of pain. Don't have to have your arm twisted up your back. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll give you something, I'll give you something. Don't give reluctantly. In the case of the boastful, they're rich and they're powerful. And very often when they give, they want to be able to determine what happens with the money they give. They just can't give up control. In the case of those who believe in forced redistribution of wealth, that ends up in hypocrisy. It ends up people saying, well, the state will provide and we'll get, but we'll get other people. And what you find is people find ways to get around it. So you could uh, go to Starbucks, which is kind of right on and cool and into every single liberal cause there is. And yes, we should be caring for the poor and our coffee beans are fair trade and everything else. And yet Starbucks do the absolute utmost that they can to avoid paying tax in this country. So technically, they've got no income in this country. Technically, it's all in Luxembourg. And they pay a lot less tax. People will always find ways. Now, the Christian way of giving is not boasting, it's not being guilted, and it's not being compelled. We are to give willingly. We are to think about it seriously, and we make our own decisions. And we are not responsible for the giving of others. That's why sometimes people have asked this. They've said, why don't you have a rule in the church that people should give a tithe? To which the response is, in your case, it's that you should keep a tithe and we'll take 90%. Why don't we have a rule like that? Because that's not the way of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the people were asked to give a tithe. In the New Testament, we're asked to give generously according to the means that we have. It's a world of difference if you're a millionaire giving a tithe, you give 100,000 pounds, but you've got 900,000 left. And if you're someone who's earning 10,000 pounds a year, you give 1,000. You've only got 9,000 left. We want you to give biblically, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. I love uh, Derek Prime in his commentary on this talks about you're sitting in a house and a child comes and they give you one of their sweets. It might be one of their boiled sweets, possibly even been in their mouth. But it's very kind of them that they've given you the sweet. It's lovely. They come up and they just give you a sweet. Please have a sweet. Now, you may not like boiled sweets and you certainly don't want it if it's been in their mouth, but you're not going to refuse. You're not going to say, go away, you little brat. You, you know, I don't want a sweet. I've just had a meal. But there's a world of difference between a child who willingly comes and shares something with you and the child that's got a bag of sweets and the mom is saying, you share those sweets now or else. Go around and share your sweets. And the child comes and goes, do you want one? Do you want one? Do you want one? You know, praying that you won't take one. But they're doing it because they are compelled to do it. We give out of our own free will. David speaking about the people of Israel, the giving towards the temple. This is a wonderful verse. First Chronicles 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. 
All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Because there's the key lesson. God doesn't need the gift. God's looking at the giver. No sacrifice is pleasing to God if it's not voluntary. And so therefore it comes back to our hearts being changed. Because in, in one way or other, some of us, we have different characters and different personalities, but we're tight-fisted in different ways. And it takes our hearts to be changed. So giving is a matter of the heart. Giving is blessing. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, Calvin, we are by nature excessively niggardly because we are prone to distrust which tempts everyone to retain with eager grasp what belongs to him. I'm not giving this because I don't know what they're going to do with it. C.S. Lewis, in a, a, a marvelous uh, passage, he talked about how we, when he was with Tolkien and uh, this beggar asked him for money and Lewis gave him some money and Tolkien said to him, but he probably just going to spend it on drink. To which Lewis replied, I would just spend it on drink. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you think about how we give and the attitude that we have, we, we, we want, somehow we just think that we are in control. We don't trust. So how can we give willingly and voluntarily Again, not just of money, but of time and of ourselves. It is by watering, recognizing that what we are doing when we are giving is watering our own lands, which causes blessing all around. When we give, it's not that we, it's somehow it's gone from us and we've lost it and we're going to be the poorer. It's that realizing that in giving, it's back to this sowing seed. Now, there's a big mistake here, and some of you come from a tradition where this mistake has been deeply ingrained in its teaching. And you'll see it on Christian television all the time, where the evangelist will stand up and go, we want you to give seed money, we want you to give seed money. And it's a good and biblical expression, but they've twisted it in such a way that it's become the opposite of what the Bible teaches and becomes blasphemy. Because the prosperity gospel people say, you give... And it's like an investment. It's a, it's a, and you get a rate of return from God's bank that you wouldn't get from any other bank. It's better than investing in the stock exchange. But that's not what's being taught here. This is not a deal you do with a hard God. This is not a deal where you go and you say, well, God, I know that you're tough, but I'm going to give you 10 pounds. You're really powerful, and so you're going to give me 100 back. Look at the word that is used. He is the God of abundance. He is the God of all grace. If we are to be cheerful givers, what do you think God is? A reluctant giver? Somebody who needs you to press the button? That he's, he's there, he, he doesn't really want to bless you, and he just needs you to come and give him stuff? And then he'll bless you? That's the opposite of what is being taught here. The word used here for abundantly is the word that we use for grace, charis. He's able to bless you with his grace. And the thing about grace is it's never earned. 
Some of you may have come into church this morning and think, what's all this about, all this religion stuff and everything else? And you think, well, it's about being good and it's about doing the right thing and coming to church and then we get our reward. And it's not. That's not what it's about at all. What it's about, it's about grace. So that you come here and your life may have been rotten and you may have done many, many rotten things. And how can you be accepted? We don't tell you, go and do this, 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 this and this and then you'll be accepted. We tell you about God and about his grace. He is able to bless you with his grace. Your giving is blessed, but it's blessed because of the gracious nature of God, not because he owes you. As we sang, God is the one who gives and who gives and who gives again. Even when you give, even when you give your time, even when you give hospitality, even when you give money, you're giving to God But you're only giving to God what is already his. And again, it's like the little child who's incredibly generous and goes down to the shop and buys their mom a present and thinking, isn't it wonderful what I've done? And it is wonderful what they've done, but what have they used? They've used their mom's money. Well, that's what we're doing all the time when we give. It's not that there's a God who's kind of up there and he needs to be bribed by us, which is the form of religion that causes so much harm throughout the world. But it's the child who knows their father and knows that they are generous, who gives away. And their parent, in that sense, keeps giving them more. And that's why you can never outgive God. Verse 8 He is able to bless abundantly, He has the ability to supply all our personal needs. Uh, I became a Christian around 16, and when I was a young Christian, I apologize that I've told some of you this before, but it's, for me it was a big, big thing in my life. Um, I hitched hike around Europe with a friend, and my friend was really annoyed because he was like really into drugs, and we were going to go to the hippie, the Freistadt in Copenhagen and things like that. And basically, the guy he'd planned to go on holiday with, with this kind of hitchhiking around Europe, had become a Christian. And I took my Bible, and I read my Bible, and insisted we, I was a good free church, Sabbatarian, I insisted that we didn't hitchhike on a Sunday, that we'd never get a lift, you know, and that we went to church wherever we were, even if we didn't understand the language, and so on. So it was a bit rough for him, uh, suddenly discovered he was hitchhiking around Europe with a Jesus freak, but um, the worst moment for him came when we were in Copenhagen, and we went to a Danish church, and the collection was passed around, and I felt very, very obliged to give. I thought, I have to give. Because this is for God's work. Unfortunately, the only thing I had in my pocket was a 50 kroner note. Now, we only had 40 pounds for the whole seven weeks that we were there between us. 50 kroner note was about half of that. And I thought, you can't give that because that's half our money. And then this voice in my head, and this is maybe guilt, I don't know, said, no, 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 you have to give. Do you not trust God? And I think I did absolutely. And I said, right. Yeah, no, I, tr- I trust God, that's fine. So I put the money in the, in the collection bag. Now my friend, of course, freaked with that. And I said, don't worry, God will give us it back. We're sitting in the service. Well, God did give us it back in a slightly uh, unexpected way because actually this service was rubbish. And as we were going through the service, I found it to be quite manipulative and horrible. And I thought, I've just given money to this rubbish. So I went up at the end and said, excuse me, can I have my money back? And <laughs> 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 they, <laughs> they looked at me in absolute astonishment. I mean, when I think about it now, 
they, they looked at me in, in absolute astonishment and I said to them, look, here's the deal. There's a 50 kroner note. If it's the only 50 kroner note in there, it's mine. Can I get it back? And they called the pastor and he, he said, okay. But I mean, they'd done this stupid healing thing. It was so manipulative. And he said, if there's a 50 kroner note, give him it back. So I got it back. And uh, I said to my friend, see, and he just looked at me, obviously, the way you're looking right now. Uh, I've matured since then. But I, sa- I kept saying to him, look, God is going to provide our needs. And we did run out of money. But we survived for three weeks without any money because I, I really did believe. I mean, at one, po- we- one point we went from just having German black bread, which is wonderful stuff, really heavy, fills your stomach, totally tasteless. But it was just... It was, it was, you know, that's, we went from that and sleeping under a motorway bridge to being in a castle in the south of France for a week. And I said that to my friend, God gives and he gives and he gives again. Well, you know, you don't have to be, in a sense, that extreme, but we do have to have that kind of attitude. God is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. And you will never give to God and find that he doesn't give back. It's not a simple investment thing, but it is that you are sowing seed. We have all that we need, says Paul, so that we can abound in every good work. And that comes back to this idea of grace, Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God will give you all that you need so that you can abound in good works. He's given you a home so that you can use it. It may be a pokey wee flat in the middle of a rundown estate. doesn't matter. God has given you that. It may be a car. It may be a, a pair of hands that you can cook with. It may be a pleasant personality. I don't know what gifts God has given you, but he has given you them so that they can be used for the purpose for which he created you, which is to glorify him through Good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. There are to be streams of living water that flow out from you. And you must, you know this, surely, that when water stops flowing, it becomes stale. And the trouble with some of you as Christians, trouble with me as a Christian, is that when I stop giving, I become stale, spiritually stale and in many other ways. Now, it's not just material, is it? God looks for a harvest of righteousness, the parable of the sower. What did the world yield? It, the, the word yield. It, it, a harvest some, some 30, some 60, some 100 times. When you are hearing the word of God here, what is happening is that seed of God's word is being sown and some of it, to be honest, is falling on hard hearts. That it's just going to take an absolute miracle of the Holy Spirit to get you not just to understand but to accept. And others is falling on prepared ground. That God brought you here specifically for this purpose. And as you receive that word, it, it's in you. It's in your, your heart. It's in your mind. It's in your life. And it brings forth fruit. Great fruit. So that's why in Isaiah we read this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You read and watch pornography, you're sowing seed that will bear fruit later on in your life. 
You fill yourself with hatred and bitterness. It will bear seed. You come to the Word of God. You listen to the Word of God. You receive the Word of God. And it will bear seed. Giving is blessing. Giving is also forever. That's the last bit there. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Proverbs 22.9, a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. I love um, being with Bob Aykroyd, who's a lecturer in the Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Because you walk along the streets of Edinburgh, and it's so funny. Everyone who's there begging, Bob knows who they are. Hey, Bob. And he talks to them. And he doesn't give money out, because he knows what's involved in that. He knows there are people who are scamming. But if he sees somebody, he'll stop. He'll say, listen, I'll go and get you a Starbucks or a coffee or something. And he talks to them. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Just a curious question. When last did I or you share our food with those who are poorer than us? You get eternal righteousness. Generous giving and practical righteousness is linked. Not because you buy your way into heaven. You're not saying, I'll do this, I'll do this, and then then I bribe God again. But because your giving is sowing, which bears spiritual fruit. And look at this. It is eternal. It is a permanent harvest. You think about what you're going to do this week. Think about what you've done this past week. Think about what you're going to do this coming week. And how much of it is going to last forever. Most of it. It's like the grass of the field. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But what you sow for God will last forever. That's an extraordinary thing. That we can do stuff. Finite human beings can do stuff that will have infinite consequences. And infinite fruit. Only what is done for Christ will last Verse 11, which we'll go on to next week, because this is really a a two-part sermon and time's gone. Um, But verse 11 says, all this gives, results in people giving thanks to God, because God's people are generous, because God's people are open, because God's people are kind. This gives, results in giving thanks to God. So I thought I would finish by giving some practical advice and then just saying one thing at the end, especially to those of us who may be a bit confused by all of this. First principle, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. First of all, give yourselves to the Lord. And again, I'm talking about that in terms of financial giving. I'm also talking about it in terms of time. I'm talking about it in terms of hospitality. So you, invite, you, you decide, I'm going to invite someone home for lunch after Sunday, right? Part of you, you're a bit tired. You're a bit frustrated. And you don't know. Well, before you do it, you give yourself to the Lord. You say, Lord, here I am. All that I am, all that I have, it's yours. What do you want me to do? And as you give yourself to the Lord, then that releases you in terms of, of your giving. I mean, you know in Proverbs where it says it's better to have a meal of vegetables, if you're a vegetarian, obviously, but even if you're not, it's better to have a meal of vegetables with love than the sort of steak, fatted calf, with resentment, with reluctance, 
I mean, what would you prefer? I tell you, this is the honest truth. I would honestly prefer to go to someone's house where they were actually glad to have me and they gave me baked beans on toast with a bit of sliced cheese on top. Uh, I, I, would, I love that anyway. But I'd rather have that than go to someone's house where it was absolutely world-perfect cordon bleu cookery and you got the sense that they, they're just doing this. They don't really want me here at all. And that's really in terms of our giving. Give yourself first to the Lord. Just say, Lord, it's all yours anyway. Take it. Secondly, plan your giving. I'm thinking here particularly of financial things. Now, we're going to run the Cap Money course, and that's the form of that is at the back for signing up for that. But uh, one of the things I've realized is we don't teach people how to budget. We really don't. And we live in a society where people think, well, you just go out and get this, and you get this on the never-never, or you get it on a credit card, and you're going to be okay. But don't just muddle along. We are stewards. 1 Corinthians 16 says this, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So you do sit down and you think, yeah, I'm going to do a, what's the modern equivalent? Probably a bank transfer if you've got a, a bank account. Or it's deliberately sitting down and saying, this week I've got £150 to spend. I'm going to see if I can save this so that I can have something to give away. Plan your giving. Plan your your, your life financially in that way. And, and I think we need to plan our lives in other ways as well. And then Wesley's simple thing. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I quoted that last week. And uh, just to give you some more detail of that. When he started off, this is John Wesley, a very famous Christian minister and evangelist. He earned 28 pounds per year. And he knew he could live off that. As he got older and got much more famous, sold a lot of books, pamphlets, and so on, his salary increased enormously, and he still lived off 28 pounds a year. He just gave away more. Clement says this, some Christians give beyond their means, some Christians give according to their means, and some Christians give according to their meanness. What are you doing with your life? What are you sowing? I don't want this next week to be for you a barren week that's just full of resentment and bitterness and anger and angst and hatred and confusion. I want it to be a week that you know that what you're doing is sowing for eternity and maybe even, you might even be reaping. Now, there's one aspect of this that I want to return to because we're talking about giving and how that fits in with the grace of God. Money and time and everything else, it all goes wrong because we are screwed up people. It's not just you, it's me, it's every one of us. I was reading Augustine this week, and I was just greatly, greatly taken with this, not least because um, of the death of Robin Williams, and just thinking about the confusion and the depression that there's a man living in a 30 million 
dollar house. There's a man whose films have made billions, and yet he had money troubles because of his three divorces, and he suffered from depression and a whole load of other things. And, you know, everyone comes in with analysis, isn't it? And, but I think of all the things I read, Russell Brand's commentary in The Guardian was absolutely superb, in, in which he basically says, what kind of world do we live in where there isn't room for somebody like Robin Williams, that he felt there wasn't room for him in this world? And it's a great question that the gospel answers. Augustine says this, Behold what damage the disobedience of the will has inflicted on man's nature. Let him be permitted to pray that he may be healed. Why need he presume so much on the capacity of his nature? It is wounded, hurt, damaged, destroyed. It is a true confession of its weakness, not a false defense of its capacity that it stands in need of. It requires the grace of God, not that it may be made, but that it may be remade. Because you see, every therapist, every commentator, everyone in our culture says, you're okay, you're okay. You just need to realize you're okay. And you just need to do this, and you need to give more, and you need to be religious, and you need to be that, and you need to be... And along comes the Bible and says, you're not, you're not okay. It's not, we we can't say to you, just do this because you don't have the capacity to do it. Your nature, in Augustine's words, has been wounded, hurt, damaged, destroyed. And instead of saying, well, I can do this, I can do it, I can do it, what you actually need to say is, I can't, I can't. I need the grace of God to get me through. I need the grace of God. At the end of the chapter, and as I say, we'll look at this next week, it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Because here's the ultimate motive. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God so loved that he gave. What did he give? He gave his greatest gift. He gave his son. Our giving of our money and our time and ourself is only in response to that. It is di- our giving is directly proportionate to our understanding, trust, and grasp of the gift of Christ and the giving God. See, when I was hitchhiking around Europe, I really believed God won't let me starve because God gave me Jesus. I read the Bible, I believed it. Do you know that as you get older as a Christian, sometimes you believe less because you just get caught up with all this cynicism. He giveth and he giveth and he giveth again. Romans 8, beautiful, beautiful passage. If he has given us his son, Christ Jesus, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one can. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So for those of you who are Christians, and to be honest, you're back to that hedgehog. You're curled up in a ball. You're really hurting. You're really wounded. You're really angry, you're really bitter, you're really cynical, you're really disillusioned, you're really discouraged, you are worn out, you are utterly exhausted. 
I'm not going to say to you, just do it. You can do this. You can do this. What I'm going to say to you is, I understand, and more than much, much more important, God absolutely understands where you are at. And he's not asking you to draw on the reserves of your own strength. He's not asking you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. What he's asking you is to look at him and to trust him. And when he gives, he gives and he gives again. That's all that you've got. That's the only answer that you have as a Christian. But that is more than enough. Silver and gold, said Peter. I don't have silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Wow, that was some gift. You may not have what you think you need in order to be able to give, but in actual fact you do. You have Jesus Christ, and so you can be an open and generous person in the midst of all the hurt, in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all the sorrow. You can reflect God, your Father, in how open you are to people and how open your, your wallet is and how open your home is. Not because you're guilted, not because you're being compelled, but because you love your Father in heaven who gave you his only Son and along with him graciously gives all things. You cannot give more than God can give to you. But also, for any here who are not yet believers, and maybe some of this you're thinking, well, what? how does all this work? I think I just want to give you this picture of this extraordinary God who, when you say, ah, but, I've done this, or ah, but, what about that? Or ah, but, I don't understand this. And I'm saying, here is a God who knows all of that, and he knows you far better than you, knows yourself. you know yourself. He knows your circumstances way better than you know yourself. And that God is not folding his arms and saying, get away from me. That God is saying, come to me, all you that are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't think you can negotiate with God. Don't think you can say, well, God, I did this and that, you know, or it's not my fault or whatever. You can't. But you come to him with the complete mess that you are, and you say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe what you have done for me. I give myself to you because you gave yourself to me. And I will follow you all of my days. May God grant that that would be the case for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that even when Paul is speaking about such a practical matter as giving to help avert a famine in Jerusalem, that he cannot but speak of the grace and the glory of God, of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself. Thank you, our Father, that you gave your Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a gift to us. And Lord, as we receive your gifts, help us to reflect who you are, to be open and gracious and merciful and forgiving, to be loyal and faithful, never to turn away from you and never to turn anyone away from you. We ask, O Lord our God, that you would be with each one of us, those of us who need salvation, who need to know who you are, work in our lives, those of us who need renewal and healing. Grant it, O Lord, and may it be 
that our response would always be yes and amen to Jesus Christ, who is always yes to us. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.